It's good to be with you this evening. If you have a Bible handy, I encourage you to open to the Gospel of John chapter 15, and there we will find our sermon text for the evening. I want to remind you where we are in our story in the Gospel of John. In this story, we are traveling with Jesus and His disciples, and we've spent the last several weeks with Jesus and the disciples in the upper room. Night has come. It is the night that Jesus will be betrayed and arrested, and the next morning He will be crucified. So it is the last night Jesus has with His disciples, and He is sharing with them His farewell thoughts. This is a farewell discourse. I remind you that last week as we ended the story, we ended with this cryptic phrase, Rise, let us go. We don't know for sure if Jesus and the disciples actually got up at that moment and left the upper room and made their way across the city of Jerusalem and out to the Mount of Olives. It is possible that they did that. It's also possible that they sat tight for a few more minutes while Jesus gave a few other instructions and then prayed. We're not quite sure, but we are somewhere between the upper room and the Mount of Olives, and it is night, and Jesus has much on on his heart and much on his mind. And so we've been listening intently to Jesus teach his disciples and teach us through this upper room discourse, paying close attention to all the things that Jesus wants us to know and do and believe as we go out into, into the world on mission with him. After all the things that Jesus has just told his disciples about betrayal and about denial and night has come and knowing that there is much conflict and Jesus has been talking about leaving, it's interesting that Jesus turns his attention to talk about the things he does in this particular passage of Scripture. I want you to keep in mind that there is much fear generated by this conversation. And it is likely that many of the disciples were thinking about what to do next. Maybe they were rethinking whether they should have come with Jesus in the first place. It is likely that some of these men whose hearts were broken, who were filled with fear, it is likely that many of these men wanted to disengage from Jesus, detach from one another, and perhaps take off and go their separate ways. Now I know that you and I have felt like that on many different occasions in our walk with Christ, and so perhaps the things that Jesus says in John 15, 1-17, will be of some comfort and encouragement for you as well. So I want you to hear the Word of God from this passage. If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. And I want you to hear the word of Christ to you in this passage. The word of God says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing." 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. And that is the word of God. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. Now in this passage of Scripture, Jesus portrays himself as the vine, his disciples as the branches. And to us, this seems, or at least could seem, like random imagery. Like Jesus is just making up things as he goes along. But what he says here is actually rooted and grounded in the Old Testament scriptures. In the Old Testament, Israel was called a vine that God had planted. And when God planted that vine, he intended for that vine to spread out its shoots and to bear fruit throughout the world. In other words, he intended for that vine to be a part of his mission to bring his grace and glory to the nation. Israel failed miserably in that mission. Instead of putting out shoots and bearing fruit, they became dead branches and they grew inward and they grew in among themselves and they did not fulfill their mission in the world. And so repeatedly the prophets come to Israel and they warn Israel about judgment, calling them to repent, calling them to obey God, calling them to love the Lord with all their hearts. And time and time again, Israel failed to heed the word of the prophets until finally Jesus comes along. And so as he is speaking with his disciples and telling them, I am the true vine and you are the branches, he is picking up on this old theme from the Old Testament and he's saying, look, this thing is going to be new again. I am the true and the better Israel. I am all that Israel should have been and you are now a part of my mission. You are the branches that are going to go out into the world on mission and you will display to the world you will hold out in front of the world the fruit of the Holy Spirit in other words you will demonstrate to the world who God is in Christ and what is this fruit they are to show forth they are to show forth love and joy and peace they are to demonstrate to the world who God is and hold out this glorious fruit of God's work in their life. In other words, they are to participate in the mission of Jesus Christ in the world. 
They are to go and bear much fruit. Now, this does not mean that they are to go out and make fruit happen. That's not the mission. They are simply to go out and as living branches hold forth the work of God in their life. And that fruit is to draw attention back to God, back to Christ, back to the work of the Holy Spirit in them. Now the trouble is, in this parable, Jesus makes it clear that the branches have a responsibility, which we will get to in a moment. The branches have one responsibility. The responsibility is not for them to judge other branches. It is not the responsibility of any branch to judge the life or the death of any other branch. It is not up to us to judge the fruitfulness of each other or the fruitlessness of each other. There is one who is called to examine, to evaluate the branches on the vine, and that is God the Father. Jesus says, my Father is the vine dresser. In other words, He is the one who runs His hands along the vine and along the branches and He's checking out the branches to see if they are clean or dirty, if they are fruitful or fruitless. He is the one to judge the health and the well-being of every branch in the vine. What's interesting about all of this is the Father has a different standard by which He judges these things than we do. We have a tendency to judge by what we see or what we think we see or what we think we know about each other. And so we judge one another incorrectly and falsely on the basis of what our eyes tell us, the eye test. And so we will look at people and say of someone, oh, this brother is so fruitful. Look at his life. And we're so impressed by all of the activity and all of the movement in his life. And we will judge someone to be fruitful who a year later, two years later, a decade later, proves to be fruitless and unfaithful. And so we have judged incorrectly. On the other hand, we often judge people around us, other branches, and we will say of branches who are not producing the kind of things we hope to see or the things we expect, we will look at people and declare them to be fruitless and unfaithful. And then much to our surprise, the people that we think are fruitless and unfaithful often turn out to be some of the most fruitful and faithful people. We judge by what we see, by what we can smell, by what we can feel, but we judge incorrectly. God alone can judge the heart. And so when God runs His hands along the branches that are connected to the vine, He is the one who is determining or who determines whether a branch is clean or not, whether it is fruitful or not, whether it is healthy or not. And when He finds branches that are healthy and bearing fruit and showing forth the virtues and the graces of His Son, then He gives those branches even more help. The fruit of the Spirit shines forth in their life. The Spirit of Christ is working in them and through them. And to help them out, not only does the Father continue to clean them with the Word of Christ, but He gives them grace, channels grace into them by the work of the Holy Spirit. 
He keeps them connected to Christ. But he also does something interesting according to Jesus. He clears space for them. Space for them to grow. Space for them to stretch and to breathe. How does he do that? By breaking off dead and fruitless branches from around them. And here's why. I'm a terrible farmer. I don't know anything about gardening or agriculture except what I read in books. So those of you who have green thumbs and like to dig in the dirt, uh, you're welcome to correct or add to this later on. But here's what I learned about uh, vines and branches this week. Here's the thing about vines and branches. A vine with its branches left to its own will grow in on itself. And the majority of the branches will die when, it, when that happens. Unless a vine dresser comes along and cleans off the debris, cleans off the dead branches, gets rid of the dead leaves, gets rid of uh, the fruitless branch, the whole thing is going to wither up and die. But to ensure that the living branches, the ones that are bearing fruit, the ones that are green and, and have life in them, to ensure that they continue to grow and to become strong enough to hold forth the love, joy, and peace of God, to hold forth grapes, as it were, he has to break off and clean off those dead branches that are growing in on themselves. Why? Because those dead branches will suck the life out of the fruitful branches. They will steal resources from the living branches that are necessary for life. And to make sure that those dead branches don't suck and steal resources from the branches that are thriving and living, they must be broken off and they're piled up in a heap off to the side. We live in a time of the world where people tend to misjudge things on the basis of size. We want to quantify everything. We want to measure everything in terms of its size and magnitude. And so if you're in a community that is filled with people and filled with activity and it's bustling and everyone wants to be there, since we judge by the eye, by what we see, we'll say, oh, that must be a healthy place. That must be a thriving place. If you're in a community that's smaller, where there's not a lot of activity, there's not a lot of hustle and bustle, there are fewer branches, we tend to think, well, maybe it's sickly, maybe it's dying, something's wrong with that community. And I want to suggest to you that often, not always, but often it's exactly the opposite of what we think. A vine with many branches on it can be much larger, and it certainly has the potential for much more fruit. But often the case is that that vine with those branches is diseased and sick, and many of the branches connected to that vine are in fact dead. But it looks bigger. It takes up more space. It's just waiting on the day to be pruned. Whereas a vine that has fewer branches on it often appears to be weak and small and even anemic. And we say, well, what's wrong with that? But often it's the most healthy vine and branch because it's been cleaned. It has space to grow. And it can actually be more healthy and more fruitful than the larger one. It's not always true, but it's often true. And the reason I say that to you is because here we are, 
a few branches connected to Christ. And some people might look at us and say, oh, not much going on there. Not much happening. Look how thin that plant is. To which those of us who know more of the story might say, but look how healthy this branch is. Look how fruitful this branch is. Not fruitful in the sense of we make more converts and we get more decisions than everyone else, but fruitful in the sense that in this congregation, the branches who are here are showing forth love, joy, and peace, pointing people back to Christ. You see that? Now, in this story, as Jesus is with his disciples and he talks about the two different kinds of branches, part of the reason he does this is because he wants them to think about themselves, think about who they are in relation to him, not think about each other. We have a tendency, again, to look at one another and pass judgment on each other's relationship to Christ. And again, sometimes we misjudge what we see. I think what's happening in this story is Jesus is saying, look, guys, um, bad times are coming, hard times are coming, night is upon us. I've told you about betrayal and denial, and I'm going to go away, I'm going to come back, but in that interim time, things are going to get scary and messy. The question you need to ask yourself is, are you connected to the vine? And this gets us to what I mentioned earlier about the responsibility that Jesus gives branches in this passage. The responsibility he gives us is to abide in him. That's the only imperative, the only command in the whole passage. Abide in me. Dwell in me. Reside in me. Make sure you stay connected to Jesus. No matter what happens the rest of this night, no matter what happens in the morning, no matter what one branch does or another branch doesn't do, you abide in Christ. Make sure that you center your heart, your life, your mind on Jesus. Make sure that you make deliberate and intentional efforts to stay connected, rooted in, grounded in Jesus Christ. Trouble is coming in, in this story. Trouble is coming. And when trouble comes, when one branch denies the vine, when another branch betrays the vine, trouble, and that trouble comes, when the vine looks like it's going to be cut down and moved away, what will the branches do? Oh, they're going to be tempted. They're going to be tempted to abandon, to scatter, to run, to flee, to go take care of themselves, to get somewhere safe. And Jesus is arguing that the safest place any branch could be is in the vine. Abide in me. Now to help you understand this, to really put it in concrete terms as we think about how different branches do different things, let me point you to two people uh, and give you a comparison. There are two people... In the, uh, in the story that we're looking at through John's gospel here, two people who had very similar experiences. These two people represent two branches. Both of them were called by Jesus to participate in his mission and ministry in the world. 
Both of these people heard Jesus teach. Both of these branches were washed with water through the word. Both of these branches ate a covenant meal with Jesus. Both of them walked with Jesus for a period of time. Both of them were connected to him in some way. Both of these branches were known to be sinners. One of these branches will betray Jesus. The other branch will deny Jesus. And if that's all we knew about the story, we would start out by thinking, oh, maybe these branches are fruitful. But we might end up, if this is all we knew of the story, we might end up by saying, no, these branches are not fruitful. They're not faithful. And we have a 50-50 chance of being right about either one, don't we? If you were walking with Jesus and His disciples in those days, if you were sitting in that upper room or even walking across the city of Jerusalem out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus was talking about branches, different kinds of branches, responding to the vine in different ways... You might have wondered about the other guys around you. What are they going to do? But given that you've just walked together for a little over three years, you probably would have given each other benefit of the doubt. It would not have crossed your mind that Judas Iscariot was going to end up as a dead and fruitless branch. That would not have been on your mind. Because everything you know about Judas, you know about yourself that you have a shared experience. It would not have crossed your mind that the Apostle Peter was going to be the one who denied Jesus that very night. You would be thinking about other people, some Pharisee, some Sadducee, some zealot is going to come in and wreck shop, but not us. None of us will do that. Even tonight, as we look around this room, we don't look at each other and think that anyone in this room could ever live or act like Judas Iscariot. We don't think anyone in this room could ever live or act like the Apostle Peter or Simon Peter. But I want to give you fair warning that it does happen, and it can happen. It could happen to you, it could happen to me, it could happen to any one of us. So be careful in your judgments to not judge too soon and to give people more credit than they deserve. And be careful to not judge too soon and take away credit that is deserved. Better yet, be careful as you pass judgments to not pass judgment on each other, but to leave judgment to the Lord. Your responsibility and mine is not to figure out who in our community or who in the broader Christian community is going to betray or deny Jesus or who is going to be fruitless or fruitful. It's not for us to determine. Your responsibility and my responsibility is to abide in Jesus Christ, to abide in the vine. Now, when we look at the story, we see Jesus emphasizing things like love and joy. Again, he's trying to lift the spirits of these men. 
They feel so low. They feel so distraught. They're so concerned about all of this bad news that Jesus has been breaking to them. And Jesus reminds them that there are things that they can do to make his joy complete, but also that his joy will flow back into their lives and make their joy complete as well. And again, as I mentioned last week, the thing that he does is he reminds them to obey his commandments. By obeying his commandments, they are going to find that they are aligning themselves with Jesus, that the Spirit of Christ is going to flow into them, and they're going to find themselves looking outwards and looking upwards, away from themselves to God and to one another. Jesus gives us the responsibility to abide in Him and to obey Him. And to obey His command, we must be intentional and deliberate about loving Jesus and about making our permanent dwelling place in Jesus. Not simply with Him, but in Him. I want to remind you that just as the disciples were washed with water through the Word, in the upper room, you too have been washed with water through the Word. When you were baptized into Christ, you were united to Christ, you were united to the vine. And now you are called by Christ to be intentional and deliberate about centering your heart, your mind, your soul, and your body on Jesus Christ, or else we will be cut off. Jesus says His Father is glorified when we bear much fruit and prove ourselves to be His disciples. I want to say one thing about bearing fruit, just to be very clear here. Jesus is not calling you personally, you individually, to go out and generate love in your life. He's not calling you to go out and make yourself happy. He's not calling you to go out and to generate or produce peace. The word bear in this context means to carry, to hold, to support. That's what it means. In the context of considering what a vine does, a vine does not produce or create or generate fruit. The vine simply holds out for all to see the fruit that the vine has produced and generated and created through the branch. The branch is there to hold out that fruit, to display and demonstrate to all around what this vine is all about. And so when the world looks at us, when the world looks at your life, when the world looks at our church or our family, the world should see the fruit of the vine in us, the work of the Spirit of a, at work in us. It should see evidence of God's work in us, coming out in love and joy and peace, coming out in our obedience to the commands of Jesus Christ. And in all of these things, we're not calling attention to ourselves. We don't want the world to know how strong and healthy and clean we are as branches. We want the world to know how good and gracious and powerful and glorious and majestic the vine is. I 
I want to end this evening with a story that comes from an old movie. Some of you might like the movie, some of you wouldn't. I have mixed feelings about it, so I'm not recommending it to you, except I love this scene from the movie. It's a story about a Hispanic family who own and operate a fruitful vineyard called Las Nubes. It is set in California in the 1940s. In one tragic scene, a fire breaks out and burns through the whole vineyard of this family, the family vineyard. This blazing fire has threatened to wipe up and wipe out in one night everything this Aragon family has worked for for many generations. This fire happens at night. They can't see all the effects or consequences until the next morning. And as light of dawn breaks, it becomes painfully clear to everyone that indeed everything has been destroyed. Everything has been ruined by the fire. The vines, the presses, the barns, homes, everything is lost. The family gathers together. They are weeping. They are crying. They know they've lost everything. They're trying to comfort and console one another. And suddenly a stranger appears walking through the clouds, walking through the smoke and the ash. And he's carrying in his hand a large piece of charred root stock. He takes it over to the head of the family, to the owner of the vineyard, who cleans it off and cuts it open. And immediately his sorrow is turned to joy because he sees that there is life in the rootstock of the vine. And the owner of the vineyard looks at the outsider and he says to the outsider, this is the root of your life. The root of your family. You are bound to this land and to this family by commitment, by honor, by love. Plant it. It will grow. Likewise, I want you to know that the vine dresser looks at you who are vine branches and he says to you, there is life in the vine. This true vine is the root of your life, the root of your family. You are bound to this vineyard, to this church, by covenant, by the Holy Spirit, by love. Dwell in the vine, and you will grow, and you will bear much fruit. Abide in Christ. Stay with Jesus. Keep yourself connected to Him, no matter what. Let us pray together. O oh God of hosts, restore us. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. 
Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O God, it is my prayer, as we echo the prayer of the psalmist and echo the words of Christ, that you will grant us the grace to abide in your Son, Jesus, to dwell deeply in Him and for Him to dwell deeply in us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will produce in us your fruit, that we may love, that we may feel joy, that we may be faithful, that we may have peace, that we will obey the words of Jesus Christ our Lord. And we pray that as we go on mission in the world, that the world will know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, because they will see his work in his people and that they will be drawn to him and put their trust and faith in him even as we have done and by doing so may they have life even as we have life for you have promised it through your son Jesus Christ in his name we pray amen